Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. A better business starts with planning for profit. Download our free course, Profit for Small Firm Architects, at entrearchitect.com slash free course. It's free. Entree Architect Podcast, episode 148. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, Whether you're in the process of launching a startup or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. We are learning here at Entree Architect that we need to build a better business so we can be better architects. And we, we want to make the world a better place, right? That's why we became architects in the first place. We all want to make the world a better place. We want to provide a positive social impact. Well, what if our better businesses also built a better world? What if a part of what we do, or, or all of what we do, benefits the public in some very impactful way. Well, stay tuned because we're going to share with you a new online resource to learn more about this idea. This week at Entree Architect Podcast, Public Interest Design Firms with Maya Sharfi and Gilad Marone of proactivepractices.org. 
This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is sponsored by True Style, the leader in high-end residential interior doors. Learn more at truestyle.com and Tanglewood Conservatories, combining the romanticism of 19th century glass architecture with state-of-the-art technology of today. Learn more at tanglewoodconservatories.com. Maya Sharfi and Gilad Marone, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks for having us. It's great, great ha- to be here. Great having you here. You are the founders or the co-founders of proactivepractices.org, which we'll get into in a little while. Uh, it's a project that was just launched. It's a collection of case studies on public interest design firms. So this is going to be a very interesting conversation. Um, you know, these are firms that are focused on positive social impact. Uh, some of them, well, we'll get into that. Uh, but before we get into that, let's talk about you guys. Let's learn a little bit about you. Maya, let's start with you and get your origin story, where you've come from, who you are, and, and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I am a uh, landscape architect by training. I have my master's in landscape architecture. Um, and I, But I joke to people that I'm a um, I'm really secretly a social worker, just wrapped up in designer clothing and uh, you know designer skill sets. Um, my mom is a social worker, and I've been interested in social issues and people who get left out and how to bring them back in um, pretty much my most of my life. And so um, I had a chance to work for Public Architecture, which is a nonprofit based in San Francisco that does public interest design, so takes on design challenges that the private market doesn't have an incentive to take on. And then I also, um, they they work on, they run something called the Plus One program, which is a pro bono program for firms. So I worked there, I got my landscape degree um, and knew that I ultimately wanted to be doing socially impactful work. And so today I actually run two businesses. The first is Creative Agency and it's a uh, research and design consulting practice I work with an affordable housing organization. I work with arts organizations and I focus on projects that use creative tools to make change. And then I also run Build Yourself Workshop, which is a empowerment bootcamp for women in creative fields. Um, and I currently teach it online and also at the Boston Society of Architects. And it um, takes women through a kind of quick curriculum of negotiation skills, advocating for yourself, um, being proactive about your career development, and so I, I, you know, my work is really allied with um, proactive practices, our research. And actually, one thing I should mention is that he's not here with us today, but we do have a third collaborator, um, Nick McClintock. Um, he is an architect by training um, and actually, actually dual degree. He's got both an architecture and landscape background. Okay. Sounds good. And people can learn more about um, Nick, right, you said? Yeah, on our website. At the website, I, I saw saw him there. Uh, Gilad, yeah. how about you? Where What's your story? Uh, well, I also have a background in design. Um, was in a program called Design and Environmental Analysis, which was an interesting mix of uh, social science research and um, architecture and design. And um, through that, got really involved in um, participatory planning and the ideas of design as a method to um, collaboratively shape the environments that we live in. Uh, And uh, through that, really got involved in this emerging field of public interest design or community design, as some people call it. 
Uh, and I'm currently on the board of the Association for Community Design, which is a national nonprofit, um, and do a variety of research, writing, and design work with nonprofits and with foundations um, who do uh, different types of community development work. I've written a lot about affordable housing um, and other urban planning issues. Uh, and then I live um, in New Orleans currently, where I started a small co-working space and design collective uh, called The Blue House, um, and we're a um, kind of hub for different individuals, both in design and other fields, to come and have dialogue about civic issues. And we've been building towards a more um, sort of studio-like environment where we'll actually be doing projects around New Orleans. Uh, but that's a, a little bit in the future. Um, and so my, my interests really lie at this intersection of design, research, social justice, and visual communication. So two very, very busy people, it sounds like. <laughs> um, let's start with proactive practices. It's, it's, uh, it's a new website. Sounds like it's taken a long time to get here. Um, before we get into uh, how you got here, talk about what it is so people understand what we're talking about. Yeah, so Proactive Practices is a web publication that collected, will collect um, 10 of the first of our case studies on socially impactful design firms. Um, and they're pretty diverse firms. So we have Mass Design Group, um, IDEO.org, um, but then we also have smaller firms like Latent Design, which is a small firm out of Chicago. Um, we have um, Andrea Cochran Landscape Architecture, which is a largely um, high-end uh, for-profit firm, but they do um, some significant uh, subsidized work, especially around affordable housing. So we're really looking at the different ways that designers and mostly built environment and de designers um, design for social impact and find ways to do that within their business models. And so part of what makes proactive practices different is we're not just telling the stories and, you know, hey, this is a beautiful project, like let's look at 10 images of it. What we're really trying to do is to get behind the projects and to look at the organizations that make these projects possible and to ask questions about how you can build a business that you can over time create impact, social impact over and over and over again. With with so much going on on your plates, what inspired you to to do this? This is three years in the making, right? So so yeah. go back three years from, from today and what inspired you to say okay and it probably it probably didn't actually it probably didn't start three years ago where it ended today where it started today um, so tell us about that three years ago that brainstorm of how this this started yeah definitely this uh, the connection between uh, Nick Maya and myself is a nonprofit based in San Francisco called public architecture where we had all previously worked or interned uh, and through that organization, we became really connected with a lot of people in this growing field of public interest design. And as Maya mentioned, we saw a lot of projects, uh, but we didn't really see a lot of rigorous examination of the practices behind those projects. And that was really the kind of spark that led to this project. We wanted to understand how entire firms were being built to sustain practices that really focused on this kind of work rather than just doing a single one-off project. And so as we dove into that a little bit further, we started realizing the complexity of research we would need to engage with to understand that. We would need to look at their business models, but also their finances, their staffing structures, in some cases, the origin stories of how they got to where they are. Uh, and so over the course of the past uh, few years, we 
worked with an advisory board and we worked with a lot of professionals in the field who just gave us insights um, about what would be needed, what would be useful. Um, and over time, we developed some interview protocol. We developed a lot of um, supplemental research methods so we could really understand the full scope of how these firms practice in the way that they do. Uh, but in terms of our personal uh, motivations for it, I think it began with this idea of wanting to work at or run a firm um, like some of the ones that we've uh, studied and not really understanding how that happens. Um, and both from the perspective of a um, up and coming professional who wants to start a firm as well as uh, people more in the mid career or even firm directors who want to start to shift their practices to be more focused on social impact or public interest work. Um, so that was really the spark at trying to understand how we could um, build practices around this type of work. One, one thing I'll add in is that we didn't really know how to do it when we started. Um, you know, I, I remember, especially in the early days, coming upon the business model canvas and, you know, grabbing all these papers on what is a business model and, you know, trying to understand firms and multiplier effects and a lot of a lot of stuff that honestly, at, at the time, we, we had had a limited amount of experience in practice. And so thinking like, what is all this stuff and what if it is relevant for us to figure out how to do this kind of work? And so over the course of those years and tapping into our resources and our communities and really doing a lot of self-education, we gave ourselves the business and business model education that we needed to study these practices and we, we learned it by doing it. So it's it's been a very long road, but it's also been an amazing road um, because I think we all see things very differently having these case studies and all the research that went behind them under our belt. and. I think the three of us each have a different strength or set of strengths that we bring to the project. And so sometimes we push back on each other's reads and then we oftentimes um, come to a better better synthesis about what's actually going on in this case and what can we take from it. And so it's been, it's, you know, I, I feel really lucky that I know this is something that I cared about and wanted to kind of break down, figure out, you know, get, get inside the black box on. And I'm glad that I you know, we had this confluence of, of factors that made it so that we were doing it together. And these these are not just nonprofit organizations, right? Some of these are profitable companies that are just doing social impact work that, that either completely that's their focus or a portion of what they're doing is social impact. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, it is. I think it, that's actually something really important to us as we were selecting firms and trying to decide who we should profile. Um, we really wanted to get a broad range of the types of ways that public interest design is practiced. So there are some for-profit firms, some non-profit firms, some hybrid firms. We also tried to get a range of disciplines practice. So there's some landscape architecture, some in product design, some in urban planning. Um, and then we also tried to get a range of scales in terms of work that these firms are in city scale while others are really working at a very micro scale of just small interventions on on a street level so they're they're both profitable firms and non-profitable or non-profit firms um when you look at these case studies i was looking at some of the case studies and, and they're they're written case studies right and there's some great photography and they're very well designed because they're actually pretty to look at as well as um you know some really valuable information um, so if if there's if there's a firm maybe you know uh, emerging professionals that are that are wanting to start their firm and they they want to do this i and i think that 
this next generation of architects, this is going to be the norm. You know, I see that happening now that, that why not? You know, if you're going to build a, a, a profitable company, why not have social impact as part of that mission? Um, and I think in my generation, I'm 46, so, so there's actually probably a generation between me and the, and the emerging professionals that are coming out now. Um, there was always this piece that, you know, okay, we can probably give back somehow, you know, build a profitable firm and then we can give back. Um, but I see that shift in the current generation of architects that are coming up where they just, they want, they want, they want it to, the actual company to be part of this social impact and the new generation coming out, they're just being brought up that way, that it's, that it's just the, the, the normal thing to do. Um, are you seeing that in, in the case studies that you've, that you've developed? Yeah. Um, you know, I think what's great about our case studies is that we really have a whole set of approaches. We have, um, you know, one of my favorite case studies is of a firm called Latent Design in Chicago. Um, and Ka it was Catherine started... Darnstadt, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So Catherine Darnstadt didn't intend to have a socially impactful firm when she started. She, uh, she got she was pregnant around the recession and got laid off and just needed a backup plan. And so that's how latent design started. But through her experience working um, with architecture for humanity and working on socially impactful projects and working on projects with really um, gender and racially diverse project teams, she, she realized that this was the kind of work she wanted to do. She was also getting her foot in the door through doing pro bono work with local nonprofits. And so, and, you know, I think her model is one of the most interesting models that we've profiled, but it started out not, you know, a classic social impact design firm. Um, you know, then, of course, we have firms like Mass Design Group, which is just that you could argue like the paragon of social impact architecture right now. And then on the other hand, um, one, of, one of the other firms that's really interesting that we've looked at and um, is uh, Inscape Publica, which is a for-profit firm that created a... Uh, a nonprofit twin company, and uh, the nonprofit twin company works on very specific things for very specific clients. Works on nonprofit projects all the way up to detailed schematic design. So, isn't doing construction administration where you know it's pretty expensive, costs can costs can soar, and so it's a really really smart hacking of the kind of typical design firm offering to fit the needs of nonprofit clients because. Nonprofit clients usually can least afford design when they most need it. You know, they need it at the front end of a project when they're trying to figure out what is possible. We know we have these issues. We know space is related to it, but we don't really have the expertise to make the kind of decisions about our space that we need to make. And then we also need to be able to sell that idea to someone else. So we need, you know, a sense of how much it's going to cost and we need nice renderings. So I think what's been great for us is to see the different ways different firm leaders move into this kind of work and sometimes it's clear out the gate sometimes it's a personal commitment that finds an expression later and I think that there's a lot of ways people can go and so we specifically tried to profile a huge diversity of those because we wanted our readers to be able to say like hey that's like me I can do that like I can do that tomorrow let's just let's get started now and I think Mark, your point about generations is, is very spot on. Um, I, I remember reading an article 
a few years ago in Residential Architect by this woman named Cheryl Weber. And I still remember this quote um, she started the article with. She said, a dedication to social justice propels today's young design professionals. Um, and I think that that's really true in a more deeper way than we've seen in the past. You know, young people have always been attracted to humanitarian causes, but I think there is a fundamental shift in the way young design professionals and um, mid-career design professionals are thinking about this now, um, less as a idealistic goal and more as a third leg of sustainability, that there's economic sustainability, environmental sustainability, and social sustainability, which is really important. And in terms of how that relates to a firm, you know, we've heard from a lot of different directors that this is no longer just something they'd like to do. It's a smart business decision because they need to attract young, talented professionals who desire careers that have some sort of social value. Um, and there's a, a host of other um, kind of business values we've we've documented through these case studies that are really pointing to the fact that while people want to do this um, for all kinds of moral reasons, business leaders are also really seeing this as a smart business decision to orient their practices more towards this type of work. Yeah, you see Kenneth Cole shoes and, and Warby Parker and 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 then also uh, Tom shoes, you know, th mm -hmm. these big, big companies that are that are focused on being profitable, but also giving back uh, and becoming multi-million dollar companies. Uh, so certainly architects who are already with that mindset, we all became architects to make this world a better place, um, every one of us. And so to, to look at a business model that, that actively gives back while we become profitable, it just makes sense. Hey, let's take a quick break here to say thank you to two of our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, True Style Doors and Tanglewood Conservatories. Because as platform sponsors, these companies provide funding and support for our overall mission here to become an influential force in this profession of architecture for small firms, for you and me. They recognize the need for us small firms to build better businesses in order to be better architects. And both of these companies, they are run by great people. I've met them. They're passionate about their products and they want to share their knowledge with you. So go check them out and let them know that Entree Architect sent you. First off is True Style. Have you, have you specified True Style doors yet? Have you gone to their site at truestyle.com? You need to see these doors. If you are tired of getting callbacks from your clients saying that the doors have warped or that the that the, the joints have split and the paint is, is showing the bare wood, true style doors, that doesn't happen. Over 400 made to order styles, true style offers premium MDF doors for painted application and they have 20 standard species of wood for pretty much any style that you want. If you can dream up a style, they'll make it for you. True style, driven by design, check them out at truestyle.com and start designing your doors today. True Style, driven by design. Visit True Style, that's True Style, T-R-U-S-T-I-L-E dot com and start designing your doors today. And Tanglewood Conservatories. Tanglewood Conservatories. You have to check out these amazing structures. Tanglewood Conservatories, custom designs and builds, authentic, residential and commercial conservatories. Those are glass structures inspired by the romanticism of the 19th century glass structures that we see in, in history books, but built with state-of-the-art technology and master craftsmanship. 
These are amazing. If you're interested in designing a pool enclosure, a gazebo, a greenhouse, or a light-filled space, a client is looking for the most unique light-filled space, check out Tanglewood Conservatories and they will help you create that masterpiece. You can design it and you can work with their designers. They'll build it for you. Amazing structures, Tanglewood Conservatories, anything else is just another room. For more information, visit tanglewoodconservatories.com. Tanglewoodconservatories.com. And let them know that Entree Architect sent you. Will, and I don't, I, I know it's relatively fresh, a relatively fresh site, so the case studies are there and developing. Um, will there be a, a model with that, that a, an emerging professional could come to um, proactive practices and just plug in your model to start a firm? I, I love that idea. And actually, as we've been generating this project, one of the ways we've been thinking about it is that there's all these strategies. There's strategies for how your staff is going to work and what um, what skill sets you have and who you're going to work with and what you're going to offer them and um, what you know what kind of you know how your offering might be different than a traditional architecture firm. And we always imagined it as a kind of grafting process where you take the pieces that work for you. Um, for this first launch, we knew we just had it to get the cases and the, the information out there. But part of what we tried to do with the design of it is to really encourage, you know, and it's nice to hear your compliments on it, um, is to say, okay, well, what are you going to do with this? And here's what we think you can take away from it. And I think, you know, a wonderful, amazing next step would be to actually synthesize that into a process people can use. Yeah, and I think that would allow it to grow. Because I, you know, I see a, I see often uh, organizations that are developed that that want to get the message out, to want to inspire people, to to want to communicate information, and then it dies because there's no there's no back there's no monetary backbone to it. There's nothing there to sustain it. And so when people have come to me um, who you know, who want to start firms but want to have this social impact as part of it, I encourage them to build a business. And then have that business fund their social impact, because um, I've had people say, "I just want to start a nonprofit. I want to build an architecture firm that's purely nonprofit." And I encourage them to build a profitable architecture firm, and then use that profit to fund the the cause. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that, or whether that and that's just one way of doing it. Um, but I think a model that someone can actually use. Uh, would help you potentially generate revenue for for the for the organization, so that you can continue the the mission. One thing I'll say about your your point, which I think is is, I would say, pretty pretty. So one yeah, I'll, to respond to your point, sometimes people forget that whether you're a for profit or a nonprofit, it's really just a legal designation, and right. you still have to have more revenue than you have expenses. Otherwise, you're out of business. Like a nonprofit isn't a magical solution to somehow have money. It's just a way to get grant money. And it's, it comes with a whole set of other constraints and other limitations. And so from the very beginning, we tried to think about, we tried to be um, model agnostic. You know, is it a for-profit? Is it a nonprofit? Is it a B Corp? Like, okay, that's great. But let's look at what goes in and what comes out because it's either sustainable or it's not. And um, sometimes, of course, you're, you're, 
your run up to sustainability can take some time. And I know, you know, you, Mark, have worked with so many people as they're starting their business and you know that it takes a while for the seeds that you plant to pay off. But that said, your model has to fly and nonprofits can flop just as much as for-profits can flop and vice versa. Yeah, and I would and I would hazard to guess that nonprofits tend to flop more than profitable firms only because sometimes their 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 whole support system is grants and donations. And so and I think a lot of people who start nonprofits don't expect how much work and effort it takes to go out there and get people to donate or to or to apply for grants and get these grants in order to do the work that they want to do. Um, it's probably equally as difficult or maybe more difficult than building a business that then provides the income to to do, have the social impact that you want to have. Yeah, and I think it, it depends a lot on the, the context and um, where it's starting from. So for example, one of our case studies, Inscape Publico, the one Maya mentioned previously that has this sort of dual or twin model, um, one of the things that the founder, Greg, said was that it was very important that they had their for-profit side of their firm established before they started the nonprofit because it gave them credibility, gave them experience, it gave them networks with potential clients. Um, so we don't have to think of it as so kind of um, in black and white, you don't have to only do one or the other. You could start with one and then transition into another. And we've seen other firms do similar things where they have a for-profit and then start a nonprofit arm or start a studio within their firm that focuses on this type of work. So I think there's a lot of different options. Um, but there is, I think, still value in thinking about starting just a, a purely nonprofit firm. And that's not to say it's necessarily better or worse, mm -hmm. but that it presents a different type of value. And I think we see that in the case study of Mass Design Group. Um, and it, they've really charted a unique path because they were rooted as a nonprofit from the very beginning. And that led them to use certain values to really guide what they were doing from day one. And you know, the other thing I'll say about that is that, and I think this this can cut across all, all models, is that at the end of the day, you have to be providing value that somebody or some some institution is willing to pay for. Um, you know, so whether that's value that, say, the public health world cares about providing and you make the case and then you're able to show a return on their investment or if you're working for private clients, you're you're providing value. And I think um, one of the places that architects can sometimes get stuck is we describe value in terms that we understand, our profession understands, but we have a harder time translating that value to the language that other people, our target audience, our target customer uses. And so I think the way to do it is to identify the kind of value that you want to offer, figure out what you would need in order to be able to provide that value, and then a firm structure, like a legal structure, right, for-profit, non-profit, B Corp, is a mechanism to do it, and you pick the one that works best for what you want to do. Yeah, so, I, I, go ahead. I just want to add to that because it's so, it's such a crucial point, I think that deciding the type of work you want to do and the reasons for it can really be a valuable starting point. You know, do you want to address environmental degradation and what kind of work would do that? Do you want to address affordable housing and then what kind of work would do that? There's a lot of different ways to focus a practice, but I think having that underlying kind of passion or desire to change something is a really good place to build off of. You just have to follow the money attached to it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so... Right. And that's that's important because if it can't be funded, it can't thrive. It can't sustain right. itself. 
Um, Unless you have a trust fund, but you know, right? That's, exactly. That's Unless not that's not what we're doing here. So, <laughs> right, right, um, and, and you know that that goes for any business. You know, you, my listeners have been hearing me talk about vision and mission and goals and strategies for years, um, mm -hmm. and it's no different. It doesn't matter whether you're starting a hot dog stand or you, you're having a you want to have a globally socially impactful uh, architecture firm. It starts with a vision. You have to have that big idea and really have that clear idea of what you want to do and how you want to do it. Um, and then your mission is why. Why do you have this big vision? Why do you want to do this? And then work your way back to goals and strategies and, and create a, a business plan uh, for your social mission. Um, and then start working on it and get to work. Um, what's next? What's next for proactive practices after you've you know, finish out the, the case studies. Uh, will there be more case studies or is there a, a next phase that you're thinking about potentially uh, proceeding with? Yeah, that's a question we're actually still asking ourselves a little bit. Um, we want to continue producing case studies because through this research, we found so many more firms that we didn't even know about previously who have very interesting models that are unlike some of the ones we've ever seen before. Uh, we've also thought about um, turning this into kind of educational tools, teaching tools. Could we um, help provide curriculum for students? Uh, something that we've thought was very important is that if people are learning this um, as part of their design training, what does that do to the next generation of uh, professionals who are coming into practice? Um, we, we've also thought a little bit about um, potentially starting a small consulting practice where we could work directly with firm leaders, um, regardless of the scale of firm, to help them think through how could some of these strategies we've been identifying apply to their work and their firms, and how could that allow them to start to shift what they're doing a little bit. Um, so there's a lot of different directions we could go in, uh, but we've really been uh, focused on on finishing this first set of 10 case studies right now. Yeah, it's proactivepractices.org. Uh, is the site. It's a great resource for anybody who's interested in social impact uh, architecture firms or design firms. Um, what about social media? Are you on Twitter and Facebook as Proactive Practices or, or other? It's through our own handles. So okay. um, yeah, we each have handles and so but we're hashtagging Proactive Practices all one word. So that if you if you like what we wrote, and it's helping you make a change in your business or your career, like let us know, we wanna know. So hashtag proactive practices, what, where, can, where can someone find you on social media, each of you? So I'm at Maya Sharfi and that's M-I-A-S-C-H-A-R-P-H-I-E, all one word. And similarly, it's just my name, G-I-L-A-D-M-E-R-O-N. And we'll have links to both of those and proactivepractices.org on the show notes, entrearchitect.com slash episode 148. Um, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge. Thank you for taking on this mission and providing this valuable resource. This doesn't exist right now. Uh, I've looked for it. <laughs> I've looked to provide more information like this because people ask me about this and, and there's not much out there about it uh, specifically to architecture and design. And so proactive practices is a, is a, is a needed resource. And I'm, I'm very happy that you've, you've prepared it for us. So thank you for that. And thank you for sharing your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks so much. Yeah, sure. thanks for having us on. Complete show notes and a direct link to download this episode will be found at entrearchitect.com 
facebook.com slash episode 148. And don't forget to visit the website to gain access to your free digital course, Profit for Small Firm Architects, and learn how to build a powerful profit plan that will work for your small firm. Visit entrearchitect.com slash free course. Hundreds of architects have taken this course, and it's a great place to get started building a better business. And it's free. EntreArchitect.com slash free course. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. mentioned it to my family but in terms of telling people like oh yeah we're doing this i'm looking for projects you got anything i'm not there yet because it scares the out of me dreaming of launching your own architecture firm well we'll buckle up for a wild ride with emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm where do we begin we don't even know what type of business to formalize as is it an llc is it an llp like how are taxes i mean the list is astronomical Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then you know in your head you've rooted like oh I'm connected to these people like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome, and I think it's it's so real. To this day, I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning, like, us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh, my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. 
there is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.